Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Today is Friday, December 13th, 2019. On this day in 1961, the widely publicized trial of Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann reached its conclusion in Jerusalem. An Oberstormbannführer, or lieutenant colonel in the Third Reich, Eichmann was instrumental in keeping the machinery behind the Nazi death camps running. He was one of the principal actors responsible for the horrible death toll of the Holocaust. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're discussing the trial of Adolf Eichmann, he was captured by Mossad agents in Argentina in 1960 and brought back to Jerusalem to answer for the crimes of the Holocaust. His trial stretched over eight months, and in mid-December of 1961, they were finally ready to read him their decision. The auditorium at Beit Ha'am was packed even before any of the judges appeared. Journalists stood shoulder to shoulder. CCBC television cameras sat in each corner of the room. One camera was even nestled by the witness box on the left-hand side of the courtroom. On its own, the box was a haunting image, a solitary cubicle of bulletproof glass. Moments later, the evil man himself was brought in to fill it. His appearance alone was stunning in its normalcy. He was just a balding man wearing a dark suit and spectacles. Hard to imagine that such a nondescript man had facilitated such atrocities. But the evidence spoke for itself. After 114 sessions, hundreds of witnesses had laid the horrors of his actions bare for the world to see. And yet, sitting behind the protective glass, flanked by two guards, his composure was alarmingly calm. He put a pair of earphones on and patiently folded his hands in his lap. He waited for the court to grant him his turn to speak. If the audience was not acutely aware of his crimes, this would appear no more severe than a traffic court. They would not know that the man sitting there was about to give the final statement in his defense. Eichmann pulled his reading glasses out of his pocket and replaced the pair on his face. Then he stood. He'd been convicted on 15 counts, including crimes against the Jewish people, war crimes, membership of a criminal organization, and crimes against humanity. 
The prosecution had not proved that Eichmann had carried out a single act of cruelty or harm himself, but his role as head of the Section for Jewish Affairs was damning in its own right. The defense could not deny his inextricable link to the deaths of six million people. Though his sentence had not yet been given, all crimes listed in the first 12 counts carried the death penalty. Eichmann cleared his throat and spoke. Justice had failed him, he claimed. He had never been an anti-Semite. His chief sin was one praised as a virtue in all other circumstances, loyalty. It was his loyalty to his homeland that put him on the stand today. The ones who should be tried were the leaders who abused his loyalty to enact horrible crimes. He had been abandoned by those responsible for the crimes he had been charged with. He was a tool wielded by Hitler, Himmler, Heydrich, and others to do evil things. But the Holocaust was no design of his. He spoke in translated German, I am not the monster I am made out to be. I am the victim of a fallacy. The tinny sound of his answer echoed through the courtroom. Three judges listened to the convicted man patiently, then rose. The court adjourned while the judges ruminated on Eichmann's fate. Eichmann was excused and escorted to the door behind him. No one spoke, but the sentiment was clear. The assembled reporters, Jewish, German, American, and many more, were on pins and needles. The trial was a strange one, its legality already stirring controversy around the globe. Had Israel overstepped its jurisdiction in trying a man guilty of crimes in Germany? Whatever sentence the judges doled out would have to be carefully considered. Everyone watching the trial knew that their decision would go down in history, one way or another. Up next, Eichmann faces justice. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 platinum jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Now back to the story. Otto Adolf Eichmann was 39 years old when the Second World War ended in 1945. For much of the war, he was the head of the section of Jewish affairs, the department dedicated to answering what they called the Jewish question. His role largely concerned the logistics of the Holocaust, rounding up and transporting prisoners to concentration, labor, and extermination camps. As such, he was among the most sought-after fugitives at the end of the war. But unlike his colleagues who were tried at Nuremberg in 1945 and 46, 
he managed to evade justice. After hiding in Europe and the Middle East until 1950, Eichmann used false paperwork to escape to Argentina, where he stayed for 10 years under an alias. In 1960, his location was discovered by members of Israel's intelligence agencies, Mossad and Sheen Bet. But due to Argentina's history as a haven for fugitives, Israel did not attempt to request extradition. Instead, on May 11, 1960, without obtaining permission from the Argentine government, Mossad agents caught Eichmann in Buenos Aires. After being carried from safe house to safe house, he was dressed as a flight attendant, sedated, and smuggled aboard a plane to Jerusalem. Eichmann's trial began almost a year later, on April 11, 1961. It was an immensely controversial affair. Many believed that Eichmann should have been tried by an international tribunal or by a court in Germany, the country he committed his crimes within. Israeli Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion was vehemently opposed to this. He saw the capture of Eichmann as an opportunity for the relatively young nation of Israel to put the evils of the Holocaust on trial. Eichmann made an appeal for a pardon, claiming he was not guilty of the crimes he was accused of. His pardon plea, which was formally published in 2016, read, There is a need to draw a line between the leaders responsible and the people, like me, forced to serve as mere instruments in the hands of the leaders. I was not a responsible leader, and as such, do not feel myself guilty. On December 15, 1961, Eichmann was found guilty of all 15 counts leveled against him. He was sentenced to death by hanging. He appealed the decision twice, but was unsuccessful in both cases. He was marched to the gallows on June 1, 1962. As of 2019, he is the only person sentenced to death by an Israeli court. According to witnesses, his final words were, Long live Germany. Long live Argentina. Long live Austria. These are the three countries with which I have been most connected and which I will not forget. I greet my wife, my family, and my friends. I am ready. We'll meet again soon, as is the fate of all men. I die believing in God. Jewish-German writer Hannah Arendt covered Eichmann's trial for The New Yorker and published a book on it in 1963, titled Eichmann in Jerusalem, a report on the banality of evil. It was highly controversial as she called into question the legality of the trial, pointing out how Israel had flagrantly ignored international law and essentially kidnapped a man to try him for a crime he committed in a different country. But the point from Arendt's writing that stuck around far after the trial was her observation of Eichmann as a man. When everyone expected a monster to walk into the courtroom, what they saw was an unassuming old man 
who wouldn't look out of place feeding pigeons on a park bench. Arendt wrote, The trouble with Eichmann was precisely that so many were like him, and that the many were neither perverted nor sadistic, that they were, and still are, terribly and terrifyingly normal. From the viewpoint of our legal institutions and of our moral standards of judgment, this normality was much more terrifying than all the atrocities put together. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Joel Stein. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 